welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Yes, the annual meeting tonight. So for those of you who really want to watch that football game, I would still encourage you to read the annual report. It's in the back, it's on our Church Center app. Read it through, and if you have any questions or comments or things you want talked about at the roundtable discussion, text someone who you know is gonna be at the meeting. One of the elders, one of the pastors, one of your friends, and we will make sure that that comment, question, gets discussed in the roundtable. I just, I find it, very encouraging when people show up and ask questions and and wonder about things and and even when people have concerns because that illustrates to me that people are engaged, they care about this body and um, they want to be involved. And even if you have no comments or questions or anything, still grab one of the annual reports. It's so encouraging to read uh, all the different ways that Jesus has been moving in this past year. Um, And you'll find my report in there, and I detail a bunch of things. But one of the other things I always do is I always just give an update of kind of um, some personal, professional development that happened for me over the previous year that doesn't quite fit into any uh, ministries. But I feel it's important that as a congregation who's supporting me that you have a little glimpse into the the ways that I've been able to uh, develop and, and gain some skill. So in the annual report, you'll notice that I I talk about my ordination process. And I think I talked about it um, last time I preached as well. But this last year was kind of filled with papers and sermon submissions and book reports and and retreats. And now coming up in May will be my interview. And so what that is, is I come before uh, the ordination council, which I don't know, is like four to six people. And for 90 minutes... They question me. And so I have a book, 16 pages of possible questions that they could be asking me. And it's a, it's a whole variety of things from, you know, just tell me your story. Uh, you know, how has the way you lived your faith changed from when you were licensed? And then it kind of gets into scripture stuff. What's the grand narrative of scripture? How do we know that, you know, scripture is, uh, constitutes the one rule for our life? Then it gets into theology. You know, tell me about uh, salvation. You know, where is Jesus today? Does he have a body? And one of the big components of it is, is talking about, is asking about the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Who is God the Father? Who is God the Son? Who is God the Holy Spirit? And frankly, it's a lot of work. And some of these questions, I'm like, I don't know if I could answer that real well right now. So obviously, a good thing I have a good chunk of months. But even when I was looking at the questions about the Trinity, I could articulate it, but I didn't quite have like a great understanding of, of where we see that in Scripture. And so as today we're talking about God the Father, a member of the Trinity, I thought it might be helpful for us to just do a quick little brief teaching around the doctrine of the Trinity. So, the Trinity. 
is one God exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All God and all distinct. A little bit confusing, hey? Why, why couldn't we have just said, you know, they're all just separate three little guys, or why not just, you know, they're, they're one God, but just kind of, you know, he shows up kind of differently in situations. Well, when we look at scripture, and when uh, early Christians looked at scripture, there was a few passages they had to figure out how to reconcile. The first one comes from Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, which is one of the uh, foundational prayers of the Jewish faith. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And Jesus repeats this in Mark 12 when he's asked, what's the most important, greatest commandment? He repeats it again. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might. Paul also talks about this in Ephesians when he's talking about how we're all part of the body. He says, you know, there's one body, one faith, one Lord, one God, one spirit. So that's great. There's one God. However, we, we then see some passages that seem to imply more than one. Right off the bat in Genesis, God says, let us, us, make them in our image. Plural. Then at the baptism of Jesus in Mark 1, Jesus is being baptized, God the Son. A dove descends upon him, God the Spirit. And then a voice from heaven says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, God the Father. And then Jesus reiterates this in the Great Commission that we see in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there are passages that seem to imply and give testimony to the fact that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God. Right off the bat in John, in the beginning was the Word, which stands for Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so, very, very early on, as uh, Christianity began building, there were these historical church councils that came together and was like, okay, what does this look like? How do we reconcile this? What does this mean? And early in the fourth century, a couple of councils addressed and affirmed the oneness of God and the Trinity. And since then, we've been trying to come up with good analogies for what, that, what the Trinity is, because it's a weird concept. One God exists eternally in three persons. And so we use apples, and we use eggs, and we use, I don't know, 2D and 3D and 4D. We use all these things to try and help us understand. 
And it's just a really complicated concept. But that is the doctrine of the Trinity. And so in the Trinity, we have the Son, Jesus, who came to earth, suffered, was God incarnate, who chose to die on the cross, and then rose from the dead to make a way for us to be released from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. He made a way for us to be able to have a relationship with God with nothing in between. And then we have the Holy Spirit. After Jesus uh, was resurrected, he uh, talked to the disciples. And when he ascended, he said, once I leave, the Holy Spirit would come. His spirit to live in us to teach us truth, to empower us for holy and sacrificial living. living. God the Son, God the Spirit. And then we have God the Father. Often, what ends up happening is people associate God the Father with the Old Testament. And all of those seemingly terrible stories that we just kind of don't know what to do with. Or we see him as the guy who had so much wrath towards earth that he poured his wrath out on his son and rejected him. And then we kind of stop there and it's like, oof, glad that wasn't me. I don't like that guy. So we associate him with his anger and with the confusing stories of the Old Testament that seem to be... uh, violent. But what are the characteristics of God the Father? Well, right off the bat, we know he's creator. Genesis 1. He is the originator of the plan of salvation. He came up with it. What it looked like to draw us close. God the Father is provider We see this in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. He's provider. God the Father is also holy. We see that in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah is in the, in the temple and he has this encounter and there's all these uh, cherubim and angels around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the characteristic I want to focus on today is found in, it's found everywhere, but it's explicitly stated in 1 John 4, God is love. We often talk about, and and rightfully so, about Jesus coming to earth, dying and being resurrected for a way for us to be saved, healed, and delivered. For the kingdom of God to start breaking in on earth. For all the broken ways to be redeemed and restored. We talk about Jesus. And yes, so important and essential. And sometimes we forget the source or the why of that. It's because of the love of the Father. 
John 3.16, a well-known verse, says he gave his one and only son so that, who, that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But there's a first part of that I missed, didn't I? It starts off saying, for this is how God loved the world. We also see that the love of God is the source of everything that happened with Jesus in Ephesians 1, verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I know often, I've read this verse several times, and it's interesting. The the points that I would highlight on previously was, in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, focusing on those aspects. But what does this say? God loved us. God chose us. God chose you. God loves you. He decided to adopt us into his family. He wanted to do it. Sometimes what can happen is we hear John 3:16 and say, "Oh yeah, God loved the world." You kind of get into it, well, he has to love. That was a big part of my story. I kind of got this obligation um, lie where it's like, well, God loves everyone because he has to. You know, he loves me because he kind of has to. It doesn't say that this is what he had to do. It says he wanted to adopt us into our family and this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure to do it. And so, the root of all Jesus did on earth, the root of the good news, is not that we can be forgiven of sins, is not that we can experience eternal life, is not that we can be justified, found in right legal standing before God. It's that God loved us so much that he made a way for all the stuff that gets in between us and God to be dealt with. And with that comes forgiveness, eternal life, justification, the ability for to knowing what is right and wrong and holy living. But at the core is love of the Father revealed through Jesus. There's a book called The Ancient Road Rediscovered, and it's by um, an organization, a, a ministry that's called the Father Heart Ministries, where they're all about the, the heart of the Father. But this is a, a quote from the book, The Ancient Road Rediscovered. We need to understand that the gospel is about the love of God. It is not about righteousness. Love is always, and without exception, righteous. Righteousness is the product but not the core. The church today struggles with love. 
It struggles with love between individuals, between leaders, between denominations. Why do we struggle with love? Because we haven't fully experienced it. Our eyes have been open to right and wrong instead. And we have lived our Christian life based on that evaluation. So, I am not saying that right and wrong don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is to live our life with Jesus so focused on right and wrong, right and wrong, is not the good news of the gospel, actually. That's a byproduct as we live in light of the love and we allow ourselves to be transformed more and more into Jesus, we begin to want to do what is right and turn away from what is wrong. Once we start paying attention to the love of God in scripture, we find it everywhere, especially in the New Testament. It's all over the place. God loves us, period. God loves you, period. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, 38. And I am convinced, this is Paul talking, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us. And we have a choice in this matter. And the choice is whether or not we're going to be loved. That's, that's is not whether or not we're going to be loved, because we are loved. It's whether or not we are going to live as ones who are loved. And the reality is there's a few roadblocks that prevent us from living life in light of the Father's love. The first roadblock I think comes when we have a out of proportionate high priority on understanding and knowledge. Western Christianity as a result of uh, the enlightenment in the modern era, high priority on knowledge, facts. This shows up in the church, high priority on biblical knowledge, theology, apologetics, Bible quizzes, seminary, and again, these things aren't bad, they're good. To know and understand scripture and theology and, and the importance of thinking through our faith. If you've heard any of my sermons, you know that's a high priority for me, is the, let's be curious about what we believe and actually think through. These are all good things. And what can happen is we put such a high pro- priority on understanding and knowledge that actually uh, prevents us from experiencing. See, I think sometimes a lot of us turn to Jesus because we get a, a taste of the love. And then we're good, because we got a taste. 
And then what happens is we don't feel loved or we don't feel close to God or we, we feel like we're not as good as we should be. And so then we add on more knowledge, more understanding. We read more, we study more. And that just actually isn't enough. Knowledge and understanding of the love of the Father is not enough. Simply knowing will not change us. It's when our minds and our hearts come together and know that we're changed. We need a revelation, an experience of the love of the Father together with the knowledge. Back in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about this. He talks about understanding and experiencing. Ephesians 3, 16. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We need to understand and experience Often it feels a lot safer to simply understand and and gather knowledge. To experience requires humility. A posture of not knowing. It requires vulnerability and surrender. The second roadblock that can get in the way of us living in light of the love of the Father, is a self-centered view of the Father. Culturally, there's this phenomenon that's in the church and outside the church of we place ourselves in the center of things. You can see uh, people addressing that when they talk about on different issues, we need to de-center ourselves, move us out of the center. But what happens is we, this cultural mindset is we determine our truth We create and internally decide our identity and our emotions and thoughts are central. We're at the center of all the things. And so we read scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and we see God's actions and assume he was moved by motives similar to ourselves because we're at the center. And we place ourselves our experiences, our motives, our emotions, our idea of love, justice, right and wrong is the center, and then we evaluate God's actions through that. And often we end up with a rather human view of who God is. We end up saying, well, God in the Old Testament is angry, terrible, mean, and not good. But what if we decentered ourselves and placed Jesus in the center, Christ-centered? What if we look at Jesus, we listen to his words in the New Testament, we watched how he lived in the New Testament, how he treated people, 
and then work backwards and view God's motives through that. Well, why would we do that? Well, in Hebrews 1.3, it says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. What we see Jesus is in the New Testament, he's like that because he's expressing the character of the Father. Jesus and the Father can't be separated. I've had conversations with people that say, you know, I'm okay with Jesus. Like, he cares for people. He loves people. He seems, you know, he creates space for them and meets them where they're at. But yeah, God, I I don't like. He's mean. He's a jerk. You can't separate the two. You have a problem with one. You got a problem with all. We need to start with the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And God is love. And then start asking when we read things in the Bible that are like, my first impression of that is I don't understand that and that sounds terrible, is to ask, I know God is love. How does God's love show up in this story? That actually might require us to do a little bit more than just reading a couple of verses. Because the Old Testament is uh, immersed in a culture and a time that we actually don't understand. And so to get context and understanding of how the original readers would have read these passages will help us see the love of God in the Old Testament. And then the final roadblock, which is the biggest, I would argue, is the biggest roadblock, is our earthly father experience. So all of us operate on something called uh, an anchoring bias. And what that is, is our brains, you know, helpfully, unhelpfully, rely heavily on initial information about a topic to make subsequent judgments and estimations. Even if the initial information is incorrect, arbitrary, or irrelevant. So whatever is our first experience becomes the truth that everything else is measured against. Even if the truth is wrong. So, our initial information about what fathers are comes from our earthly fathers. And then at some point, whether we're a child or an adult, we learn about Father God. And subconsciously, we apply our experience with our earthly fathers to inform us about our heavenly father. And so, we begin to paint this picture of what this father is like based on our own experiences with our fathers. You could have had a really great dad who, because he's human, made mistakes, didn't show up great some days, was stressed, 
was working through his own pain and trauma. And you begin to paint a picture of what happens. I would say that's largely my story. I had a really good dad. And yet there were some key moments in my life of how he responded and how the enemy came in with a lie that dramatically altered my view of God the Father. For much of my life, I viewed God the Father, it, it was an obligation to love me. I was a duty and an obligation, and I lived thinking that God the Father was, had more time for people that were more broken than me. Right, you say it out loud and you're like, that's weird, but it was in my head. The more messed up you were, the more time and love God had for you. And because my life was okay, I, I didn't have any real huge, huge trauma, God the Father didn't have a lot of time for me. And I had a really good dad. Some of us had really terrible fathers who were abusive, absent, neglectful, Maybe you didn't even know your earthly father. And then what happens is we begin to tell stories about what God the Father is like. Helped along by the enemy, right? Because the enemy of our souls doesn't want us to live loved, doesn't want us to show up loving others because we've experienced the love. He wants us to fear God. He wants us to stay hidden. He wants us to self-protect and self-promote. So any chance he gets, he's going to be sliding those lies in on our experience. And so we create a picture of who this God the Father is. God the Father is abusive. God the Father doesn't want me. God the Father doesn't really care about me. God is just waiting for me to make a mistake and then he'll come down hard. God the Father is just kind of there, like I'm an inconvenience to him. God the Father sees me as an obligation and a duty. God the Father is withholding his approval and I will never be good enough to earn it. These are some of the stories and lies that get in our souls and we live life from that perspective. And once we get that view, we end up trying to live life earning points with someone who's not even keeping score. So we're working so hard. We're, get, we're trying to be perfectionists. We're, trying to perform good enough, we're grabbing onto control, we're grabbing onto a twisted form of religion to try and earn points with God the Father who doesn't even care what the score is. Because he loves you. Or you just kind of shy away from him. And we focus on Jesus solely. And bolster our truth with that self-centered view I was talking about. And it just gets more and more solidified in our souls. But the fact remains. God loves 
us. You cannot be less loved or more loved than you are right now. But you can experience more or less of his love. What happens? What happens in the love of the Father? What happens when we remove those roadblocks and the love of the Father comes and we experience it? What happens to us? The love of the Father changes you. 1 John 4, 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. We become so filled with the love of the Father that that love becomes the expression of our lives. One of the ways to view sin is it's the root of all sin is a lack of love. A lack of love towards God, yourself, and others, and all the broken ways it manifests. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. As we experience his love towards us, our love towards him, others, and ourselves grow. And our disordered desires all the places that we're trying to grasp at, do, at the cost towards others, settle. We live loved and we live lovingly. And what ends up happening is we see things through that light now. Pressure to walk a certain way, pressure to have and perform to show that we have a a right relationship with God in a certain way, to prove that, you know, we're loved by God, fades. And we begin to understand that God wants a relationship with each and every one of us that is going to be unique to our personalities, What else happens when we live in the love of the Father is is we begin to disregard our reputation. Our desires for self-promotion or self-protection fades. For those of you who have been in my office on my uh, bulletin board, I have this sheet of paper that just says, my manifesto. And it's all these different things, how I want to live. And one of them is I will show up with nothing to protect and nothing to prove. I don't need to protect my worth. I don't need to protect my significance. I don't need to protect my space because God has said I'm loved. I'm worthy. I'm significant. I don't need to prove anything to anybody because God has already said I'm loved. I'm known. I'm significant. And this disregard of reputation is modeled 
by Jesus. In Philippians 2, 3 to 5, says, don't be selfish, don't try and impress others, self-promotion. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, self-protection, but have an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. Jesus had lived life with nothing to prove and nothing to protect. The second thing that happens is is we all of a sudden find ourselves wanting to be a blessing. Sometimes when we're we're unsure if we're loved or we're trying to uh, get enough love to feel okay, we can get into a mindset where everything is evaluated in, what am I getting? How are people treating me? What am I receiving? Because all those things can be an indication of if you're loved, wanted, or evidence of worthiness. So if someone, you know, doesn't give you what you think would be what they gave you if you were loved, you get fixated on that. And look, yeah, I'm not loved. That person didn't talk to me in the foyer. Or that person didn't give me what I need. Because we can see that as the evidence of whether we're loved, wanted, and worthy. But what happens is when we show up already knowing that we're loved, wanted, and worthy, we want to be a blessing to others. We want others to experience the same as what we feel. And so we show up. We give. We bless. We offer forgiveness to people. We don't hold on to offenses. Again, in 1 John 3, 16 to 18, says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we, must ought, we, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Did you get, we know what real love is, and so we ought to give our lives up for our brothers and sisters. And then the last thing that happens when we live in the love of the Father is contentment and peace are the result. Back to John, 1 John 4, 16 to 18. And I read a portion, the front portion of this earlier. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here on this earth. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, 
It is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. When we begin to live as ones who are deeply loved by the Father, the fear fades. And peace grows. So what small act, what small act can occur that turns us towards the love of the Father? Well, I would encourage you to turn towards and surrender to his love and trust in whatever the smallest way you can. We are uh, currently uh, looking after a friend's dog. We've had him for, um, I don't know, five, six months now. His name's Obi. And Obi is a wonderful dog, but he's also a pretty uh, nervous dog. And so he doesn't like cars. You have to take him anywhere, and the whole time he just sits on your lap and violently shakes and whines and pants and is just panicky the whole time. New people come in, especially if you're a man. They comes in, he's going to be barking at you, but then he's like real scared and just kind of hides, goes away, shakes. Weird sounds. The fireplace fan, the stove fan, something happening in the garage, any sound that's like weird to him, he goes and hides and he just shakes. And when that happens, me or, or Nick or the kids will often pull him out from there, put him on our lap, just hold him, pet him, say, you're okay, Obi. You're okay, you're safe, it's okay. If I can understand the fear of this dog and respond in patience, compassion, and understanding, then how much more does our Father understand our fears, understand our wounds, our pains, our insecurities, and respond in patience, compassion, and understanding? He knows. And in light of that, here's some one small act you could do. For some of us, we might just need to be honest with God. Maybe we've never done that before. Honest with God, I don't trust you. I think you're mean. I don't know anything about you. Stuff that is kind of rolling around at low levels Maybe we actually need to be honest with God. Other of us might need to break agreement with lies about the Father. And all that is is saying, I realize that I've lived my life believing this lie. But I'm breaking agreement with it. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to be aligned with the truth of who you are. God, show me who you are. Some of us might need to do that. Other of us, it might be time to acknowledge, process, and forgive your earthly fathers, whether they were a really good dad or really terrible. And this can happen in a a myriad of ways. You can go to counseling. You can meet with trusted friends and community. You can do soul work. 
We have a spiritual resource table out in the foyer that if you realize you need to forgive your father or break agreement with a lie or, or something like that, we have some stuff out there if you would like to grab that. All of, all of the pastors are more than willing to meet with you, to sit with you and witness and, and just create space for you to be honest before God and process some of the pain that is getting in the way of living loved. If you recognize that you just need some licensed uh, professional counseling, we can point you in the right direction of that because some stuff, they have skills that we don't have because we're not trained like that. But I'll ask you again. God the Father loves you. Are you living more love today than yesterday? We're going to sing one more song and then I will uh, come up for the benediction. Well, before I do uh, the benediction, I just want to create an opportunity for people to respond. So as I was reading some of those um, perspectives we can have of God the Father, maybe you identified with some of them. God's withholding his approval from me. I'll never be good enough. He's absent. He's rejected me. And so if you want, right now I'm just going to lead you in uh, uh, breaking agreement. And if you just recognize that that's something, yeah, I believe that lie, I would invite you. You don't have to, but I'd invite you to repeat after me. And when I say the lie of, you fill in the blank of what you recognize maybe you've been living out of. So I'll say it, and then you can repeat after me, just under your breath, whatever feels most comfortable to you. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross, I break every agreement I've made, known or unknown, with the lie that, and fill it in, I'm never good enough. He's withholding his approval. I'm an obligation to him. Fill it in right there. Jesus, would you take this lie far away from me and show what you have for me instead? And just pause. Jesus might give you a picture or a feeling or scripture. Thank you, Father God, that you love us so deeply. Whether we live like we're loved or not, it remains that you love us. Thank you for that. And that from your love, you sent Jesus to live on earth, to die on the cross and be resurrected in order to, wait, to make a way for us to be saved, healed, and delivered. And this is what you wanted to do. And it great, gave you great pleasure. And so now, church, I bless you. Right now to stop, pause, breathe deep, and let love in.
I bless you to have a revelation of the Father's love towards you that's a little deeper, a little fuller, a little more wondrous than you have previously experienced. May you experience the love of the Father, the friendship of Jesus, and the power and comfort of the Holy Spirit in this week to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. There will be some people up here, some pastors and some elders, that if you would like prayer or just to share, uh, we would be delighted to talk and pray with you. Go in peace and in peace return. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.